This is like shoplifters meets the holiday or something. <laughs> Hello there, you are listening to The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen, we watch them separately, and then Skype to discuss them across continents. Merry Christmas, Ricardo. Merry Christmas, Orla. Well, like, uh, <laughs> it's still a little bit away for us in real life, but in recorded mode, it yes. is Christmas already. We are good Christians. <laughs> My name is Orla McNeilis. I am joined by... Ricardo Deacon. You are listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is Tokyo Godfathers from 2003. Middle-aged alcoholic Jin. <laughs> Teenage runaway Mayuku and former drag queen Hana are a trio of homeless people surviving as a makeshift family on the streets of Tokyo. While rummaging in the trash for food on Christmas Eve, they stumble upon an abandoned newborn baby in a trash bin. With only a handful of clues to the baby's identity, the three, the three misfits search the streets of Tokyo for help in returning the baby to its parents. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. Yes, After much technical difficulties, we're finally able to ask Ricardo the question, why did you pick this film? Uh, well, first of all, apologies for anybody who watched Stories We Tell in preparation for the podcast, just to be... <laughs> I <laughs> don't know how there. many people do that, but just in case there's even one, uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance. It was just that uh, I hadn't realized that... Christmas was rolling in so quickly that this would be the Christmas episode. Uh, first of all, uh, what's your relationship with anime in general? I know that we've spoken about things like Studio Ghibli and stuff, but mm -hmm. in general, like anime more separate to Studio Ghibli because I know a lot of people that will be really into Studio Ghibli movies, but not have a general idea of anime and manga. So. Before I get into it, I was just wondering what's your relationship with it? Um, separate to Studio Ghibli, very, very small, like to a handful of movies like Akira and that kind of thing, or Ghost in the Shell, like those kinds of films. Like I don't, it's just a genre that I haven't really explored enough of outside of Studio Ghibli, which is kind of shameful, which is why I was very but glad. But even in the this. TV series as well? Not uh, really, no. And like as well, I haven't probably more whenever I was like a teenager or in college and stuff but yeah I haven't really watched any anime or any anime series either to my great regret okay like uh, I, I was uh, uh, obviously after I uh, go into why I picked the movies that I was interested to see how you uh, took the stylization of some things that is very common in anime uh for example, people crying and stuff for humor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rather common trope of anime, even like exaggerated expressions for humor and sound effects. Is a, like a, this somehow threads the needle of being like realistic in the way the Studio Ghibli is at times, mm -hmm. but also has that kind of like overly, overtly stylized version of anime that is present in all of anime like from tv shows like pokemon and mm. you in jesus i grew up watching like a lot of animation for some reason i'm just getting uh, <laughs> digimon the, well like Yu-Gi-Oh is the american i think but like pretending yeah. to be anime like i like in i think i've mentioned it before the a lot of like ultra violent shows were just screen really early in the morning on Saturdays in Brazil because <laughs> they're just like you could tell that the programmers and the stations were like, oh, this is just for kids because it's a cartoon. Mm -hmm. And then you go and watch it and it's like, OK, it's a very, very violent cartoon, like Knights of the Zodiac. Which is not related to the Zodiac Killer, but it would have been very interesting to have a chill <laughs> kids' cartoon. Considering they just broke another one of the Zodiac ciphers this very week. Surprised it took so long uh, for Jake Gyllenhaal to get the finger out, but. Uh, <laughs> 
thank you that we I mentioned this movie before when we were talking about uh, shoplifters. That idea of like the the part of Tokyo in Japanese life that you generally don't see either from Western media but also Japanese media. Then there there's a tendency for movies in both being uh, made in the way that Lost in Translation is. It's like oh, this is slightly kooky kind of odd culture, yeah. but but it's progressive and prosperous or whatever like and it doesn't cover the the underside of that prosperity in in tokyo in particular um there's other movies that do a good job of this but like uh, uh this is a good example of one i thought like it's the kind of movie that it has uh, we always come back to say about sense of place Mm. And I think that this is a movie that really captures Tokyo in winter. But again, the like dingy corners and parts that you're not used to know seeing. It's the parts that are hidden. It's the parts that people walk past every day, but they close their eyes not to see. Like the FEMA tent fucking mm. style city in like the Tokyo version of Central Park where they live and stuff. And I think it's amazing both uh, how it's it looks uh, in a drawing sense, but also in cinematic sense that like uh, the sense of composition is really striking throughout the movie. At times you forget that you're watching an animation because it is very evocative of a place. Mm. And I think that it's really amazing that... For a, a movie that is animated to evocate smells. For some reason, <laughs> like, this movie made me feel like smells, you know? Like, even in yeah. the sense of, like, the dirty clothes that they're clearly wearing and stuff. That how, like, sweatiness inside the tent because it's, like, they heat it up to keep the, the chill out of the winter. And then, again, it's, like, I think... Is the, it strikes the right balance between like earnestness and realism to like complete f- uh, uh, fantasy almost like mm-hmm. it is a, a a farce or a <laughs> a caper a, a satire <laughs> of the the Jesus being born story the the looking for a manger in like a city that nobody would allow in because you and you have the the three wise kings quote unquote but they're like rejected by society i think that the movie does a good job also of presenting the three of them as like uh, characters and uh, they're given backstories and like in the structure of the movie there's like each one who say like the movie pauses for them to <laughs> tell you the backstory. <laughs> and I think that like in the lesser After movie, I Am song. <laughs> yeah, precisely. That in, in some ways it is uh, almost structured like a musical. And I, uh, I don't know if it is like it's the kind of movie that it works because it's an animated. It gets away with those moments because it, you have less of a uh, suspension of disbelief to carry you over. Like, because it is, like, that's why I was thinking of, for me, those moments of animation work whenever they're, like, crying, comedy kind of moments, because it reminds you that this is not a reality. So especially when the story starts becoming more ridiculous and more ridiculous, you're not going, like, what the fuck is going on? Because you never are completely... uh, set in that kind of fucking cinema verite mm. you know like it's not a fucking Ken Loach movie even <laughs> though it's like the 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 actual setup could be a very like very much could be a Ken Loach movie but the execution is completely different and unique and I think it's a Christmas movie even though like it starts on Christmas Eve and it finishes before new year's eve so it's more of Mm. a kind of 
holidays, quote unquote, movie, but it is also virtually Christian because of the idea of the the baby and stuff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's non-religious. I think that, that it was clever to to set it in between because like a lot of cultures, especially like Japanese culture, will celebrate New Year and not Christmas if you're not Christian kind of thing. So it's it allows it to be both a New Year's movie and a Christmas movie, depending how you, you want to see it. But uh, I think that Christmas movie has uh, like the most successful Christmas movies are the ones that are both earnest and very melancholic, but also uh, melodramatic and <laughs> because you want to like enjoy it as well. You know, like you don't want to just be dour. This is like uh, shoplifters meets the holiday or something. You know, that it's, uh, I watched the holiday this week. <laughs> it, it has that schmaltiness that is like mm-hmm. that. It's almost the only time of the year that is like uh, allowed. Let's say that I, I I let the door in for the schmaltz. You know, like. Uh, uh, as a YouTuber that I followed, he does like. Uh, uh, for 13 days before Christmas, like for the 13 days of Christmas or whatever, he just does uh, like really short film essays about really depressing movies. <laughs> like as a counterpoint, like in last year he did like Come and See, for example. Oh God. But he, he calls December as the month of designated cheer, <laughs> the, which I think it's uh, quite apt. <laughs> that is like, and it all, like, but I find that it is important for movies uh, around Christmas and about Christmas. Like the most successful ones, obviously, like something like The Holiday. I'll watch shit. I'll watch fucking Girlfriends of Christmas Past and enjoy. <laughs> like yeah, around Christmas, like the threshold for quality is greatly big, reduced. Big advocate for the holiday. Um, because I think it holds up a lot better than something like Love Actually does. It's oh, obviously Jesus. still very problematic. And I'm not sure how I feel about per Kate Winslet getting paired off with kind of a weird Jack Black. There's a lot of like strange things Jack Black does in that movie. But and he's really annoying. And no, but all the like, it's still it's very charming. It's very Christmassy. It's very it's yeah. like it doesn't leave you with a sour taste in your mouth, which is why even though it, it ends on a kind of a silly note, it's like it's 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 the right amount of schmaltz. Yeah, like it's not like the family man to start Nicolas Cage that is a bit like too fucked up, too depressing to yeah. Nicolas Cage even. I think that it's necessary to have a certain level of sadness to or melancholy because a lot of people during the holidays feel even more sad and more depressed mm. because it's almost like the uh, uh, George Rockwell, whatever his name is, the YouTuber that I mentioned, it says that it's like that you're forced to feel happy during Christmas, you know? Mm. And I found this year kind of like uh, even more hard hitting this movie because usually Christmas, I get Christmassy. You know, you go Christmas shopping, you go out and meet your friends a few times. You're walking around town and you see all the decorations and it's cold and you're wearing gloves. And if you have a significant other, you're like holding hands, wearing gloves, which is kind of like, you know, it's more romantic than <laughs> Which is being a very like, awkward thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's... <laughs> For someone like, who has large hands. <laughs> but uh, not but me because I have because the nice Christmas. wire hands. But, you know, like you go window shopping, you're like talking trying to guess what the other person might want for christmas you know like (laughs) ah i'm going to the shop that there's also stuff for you so you can kind of like spy on them to see where they where they go like uh to window shop but you know like with quarantine i've been in town once and when even when i went to do my christmas shopping it's like you're wearing your mask and you're like fucking you just want to get in and out oh, and it's fucking raining and, and stuff. you take them off and you can't see and oh my god it's a fucking nightmare so like i need it like i i wasn't feeling particularly like christmasy you know like it's not it's been a tough year etc and i think that like as a first christmas movie to watch i think this hit the uh, the sweet spot that i needed that if mm-hmm. i went 
straight into the dung dung heap and watch like Christmas <laughs> Twister or something. I probably what? <laughs> what the fuck is Christmas Twister? A tornado hit the small town of Dublin late last night. It's almost Christmas. Tornado season's not until March. Thanks to climate change, tornado season's coming early. I'm so on board. But like, I think that if I went straight into that, like, uh, I wouldn't have the mentality for for the awfulness. And if I went straight into something like um, shop around the corner or uh, fucking it's a wonderful life or, you know, the classics, mm. uh, I'd probably be a little bit too. Oh, I'm not feeling Christmassy enough yet. Well, this had because it has the undercurrent of realism and sadness and uh, lost uh, people and stuff that I think that it, it struck the, the, the right balance for an introduction to my Christmas season of watching stuff. Uh, I don't think it is a perfect movie in itself. It's like a very much a movie of its time in 2003. Mm. One of the things is like, again, it's... Uh, We've come across representation issues a lot. The it's a, a movie that is quite revolutionary when it came out, and its depiction of uh, uh, trans people. But at the mm. same time, it's not uh, a version that has aged perfectly. No. So, like I think, but I think that it's because its heart is in the right place, and it's also something that it's it wasn't explored at the time. Let's put it this way, that even like somebody, because there's so much more representation now and the trans people are a lot more visible, that you know that the representation is not fair. But at that mm -hmm. time, that wouldn't be the case. So it's quite revolutionary to have a character that is, it is a trans character, but it's not really judged for being a trans character. It's just a character that happens to be trans kind of thing and mm. i think that the there's like some issue of pacing and uh, but that it's also always the case i feel with movies that have an episodic structure that you're moving from like one set piece to the next <laughs> and uh, i think that the like i don't know like sometimes i really like the ending sometimes i feel that it's a little bit over the top the part of like that the baby was stolen <laughs> as well like uh, originally kind of thing it was too far <laughs> yeah perhaps uh like when you squeeze too much lemon into a custard and it splits a twist too far but uh but besides that i think was too far but i i thought that it'd be like an interesting movie to discuss if nothing else if you didn't like it uh so without further ado uh what did you think of tokyo godfathers <laughs> which is a fantastic name for a film i have to say yeah i i really enjoyed this um we actually oh, watched good. it last night um because i think we're gonna watch it on friday and then we didn't get the chance but um yeah it turned out to be a really great christmas movie uh which is no easy feat um i actually watched um happiest season the new film with kristen stewart and what do you call her from halt, halt and catch fire mackenzie something Mackenzie Davis. It's the Christmas movie, but with lesbians. Um, oh, yes, I've, uh, yeah, I've heard yeah. of it. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's actually great. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And it made me think of um, like, it's just a good Christmas movie. And I was thinking of the Mark Hermode's review of it. And that's what he said. He's like, you know, it, it you know, take all, take the, you know, the fact that this is like, you know, the f first big budget Christmas movie with like LGBT themes and everything. If you take that out of it. It's just still a great Christmas movie and that like it delivers all the Christmas things that you want and there's the redemption and you know like it's it's not perfect and there are definitely problems with it but um I just I put it on and it was so charming and I really really enjoyed it and I did it while uh, I was drying out um orange and lemon slices to make Christmas wreaths um <laughs> so oh nice um yeah I definitely I find this very very funny very entertaining uh like I laughed 
out loud properly several times like there's a lot of very funny lines like I think my favorite is uh when they're running along with the baby and like earlier the very start of the film when they're getting food at the line and uh Hannah's like I'm eating for two uh and then like a couple of scenes later when they're I think they're going into the subway or something and they have the baby and they run past the woman's coming down the escalator and she's like he was eating for two so stupid but so funny um yeah it's it's funny you were saying about the um the the facial expressions and like you know the the exaggerated nature of it and it is a film with a lot of very ugly crying um which i quite appreciated um also uh before i forget the dancing buildings at the end over the credits made me guffaw like (laughs) it's, it's so charming um yeah, it's. I'm not surprised you thought of this um, when we were doing shoplifters because it does, it like it, like shares the theme of that you know found family and finding a family among kind of the forgotten people of a city as well, and then building a kind of house together where it's all sort of held up with tape and you know and you all live on top of each other and it's all very you know you're there every moment of each other's lives and. Uh, it's quite warm-hearted in the way that that film was, um, but not not saccharine either in the way that that film was. Um, and it's it's got a lot of like obviously there's sort of a nativity nature of this hanging over it, but it's also like kind of like a twisted fairy tale in in ways as well. In the kind of the like uh, magical elements of it, and the like the coincidences and the which once you kind of get in line with, they're quite fun. I, I do agree at like the end when it. It does feel like a twist too far, but it didn't bother me either. It, it all kind of starts to go a bit, you know, bananas towards the end, but um, that was fine. Uh, I didn't know until I was uh, researching this earlier that um, it's loosely based on a John Ford film um, called <laughs> Three Godfathers. I don't know if you've seen that, but... Um, no, I haven't, though. No. Will you save my baby? Yes, ma'am. I'll save him. And I will help. Me too, ma'am. I want you, all of you, to be my baby's godfathers. And that is how three lawless men with a price on their heads fell victim to destiny and became three godfathers. Their story is a legend of the Southwest, filmed by John Ford, five-time Academy Award winner. Their story becomes the most unusual Western ever made. What I find really interesting about the the three characters, um, like they are really well drawn and they, they feel very um, individual. Um, but I like they, they kind of share the theme of like people who sort of almost, they feel like they deserve their life on the street, that they're, they, they've done something wrong in their life and like this is their punishment for it, um, which I found really interesting. Like it's a, it's an interesting portrayal of like not just like Tokyo and Tokyo homelessness, but just homelessness in general. Um, which is funny because like we've gone through one massive recession like in the last 10 years and are pretty much in the middle of another one. And yet we don't have a, we still don't have an understanding or a like empathy for poverty and like the causes of homelessness. And part of that has to be that we have such terrible representations of homelessness in popular culture (laughs) in a world where we have films like Hillbilly Elegy and, you know, stuff like, the pursuit of happiness have you ever seen that the will Smith oh yeah film? like yeah that, that piece of shit you know it's, it's like like poverty porn like there there are like exceptions to it like films like this which obviously goes in a much more kind of like comedic way but no it's no less interesting in delving into like a lot of the like themes of um particularly in in tokyo because tokyo is an interesting place um like we've definitely touched on some of this and stuff with like um the florida project um yeah. like people who are right like on the very line of poverty um there's not enough of stuff like that well because uh, america is built uh, to help people because did you just see that uh, jeff bezos opened a homeless shelter for his employees <laughs> <laughs> it's like how much do you pay your employees if you have to like open a homeless shelter for them 
<laughs> and you uh, pretend to be pretend that it is like a, a, a gesture of um, magnanimity it's like Jesus Christ uh, you know it's pure fucking it's beyond satire you know it's like it's not, fucking Mr. Burns a, level of uh, we need fucking a new behavior. word like above dystopia because I feel like it's <laughs> Uh, and it's overused, but only because our world has become so bleak and such a like parody of itself. There, there are some really like light moments, and then some really tough moments in this. Like whenever Jin gets beaten up by the kids, yeah, and it's like, oh man, and it's like you know stuff like that happens as well, and it's just so fucking depressing and like even like Jin trying to save up the money, and it's yeah, it's tough in places but also very very fun uh i do i really like the animation i have to say um it did remind me at times of like the sort of earlier disney movies um and like things like like 101 dalmatians like and stuff uh, with the, steamboat willie not that early um uh, <laughs> no, like from like the 60s and stuff like that with the hand-painted animation and the, the color tones i'm oh, sorry the color tones of those films like um like the original 101 dalmatians is, is like beautiful it's it's the, the the way it like illustrates london and stuff and the way it draws buildings and i really love it um the um Jin, for some reason, at times, because of his beard and the shape of his face, kind of reminded me of... Have you seen Anastasia, the animation? Yes, unfortunately. It's fantastic. <laughs> Be brave, Anya. Um, he kind of reminded me of Rasputin in that at times, with the, like, only because he's so, like... Um, like animated in his face at like but then like later on whenever he's like in the hospital and everything and you're like he's all he's like he's got his top off he looks very buff <laughs> it's like ooh, gin um but <laughs> also the other thing that reminded me of um he looked more like john corcoran <laughs> john corcoran looked like him um or looks like him um there's also particularly in the end whenever they were kind of like all running around and the baby's been like passed from person to person and like the poor baby out in the cold as well um it reminded me of have you seen fast and furious eight uh, fast eight no i haven't yeah, seen i think it. it's the fate of the furious is what that one's called but there's a whole there's a whole scene on a plane where jason statham is fighting about like 10 bad guys but there's a baby. Oh, yeah. In the, in the little box. Yes, I've heard of this thing. <laughs> so he puts... It's actually very funny. So he puts headphones on, like noise cancelling headphones on the baby. So the baby's like being like, you know, knocked around. Kind of like... Ah. Where's that smile? Uh, there it is. Cheaper. That's that's not a good Fast and Furious, though. I wouldn't recommend it. <clears throat> Five is the ultimate. But... um. I I really like the character of uh, Mayuki as well. Um, there's a guy, I was watching a um, cinema essay earlier on a guy, I think his channel's called Steve M, but he had a whole, um, he seems to do a lot of videos on anime. Um, I didn't get to finish it because I discovered that my mic wasn't working. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, where he has like a lot of clips of um, the director talking about how he created the character of Mayuki and how he, before because this is maybe his like third or fourth film i think and before making this film he'd find it very like difficult to write female characters and for this he he was channeling the the like the women in his life and like the girls that he grew up with and how they were like very strong very like mature more mature than the boys of their age and he like tried to channel that into the character of mayuki of like someone who's like quite young but not right away when she was very young but like very stubborn very headstrong very like can look after herself and um, which I thought was quite interesting and it's funny when you have the like the flashbacks between like her 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 set like her past self and like when she sees her dad on the train and everything and it's all very this film sometimes you have to kind of pause and go hold on what's happening <laughs> like it moves very very quickly but uh no I did I had a lovely time with it yeah like I was glad that I've seen it before because I was uh, rather steamed watching it <laughs> for the podcast <laughs> Like restaurants just reopened here and uh, I went and met like my mom, my brother and uh, my cousin in the restaurant and we had a few pints <laughs> and then like had a few pints somewhere else afterwards and then got home and it's like, okay, let's watch this. And I was like, 
Uh, thank God I've seen this before because otherwise I'd be very confused. Especially with the tone. If you were like, if I wasn't expecting it, yeah. I'd be like, "What?" But, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, what you were saying about the the uh, like Jin getting assaulted and stuff. Uh, a flaw that I found in the, I think that it was like a little bit too cartoonish. The fact that they just put a lot of bandages on him and then like the next yeah. scene they're gone, kind he's, of thing. He's it's either fine, do yeah. it, do it, or don't. Like um, yeah, because. Even though it is a, a a cartoon, it does require still like some suspension of disbelief, and mm-hmm. I think that I could get with like, you know, people jumping off a building like to grab a baby, but not <laughs> oh, uh, like yeah. freaking <laughs> where they're all jumping off. The <laughs> but like, no, you know, don't worry, the wind will come and save you. It's fine. Um... <laughs> And yeah, it's it's interesting you're saying about the the character of Hannah and uh, like at the at, at the start when she's first introduced and you're kind of like, oh, you're kind of like, oh no, what are they? Oh no, what are they doing? And then by the end of it, you've you've kind of they've brought it back around because the character's so humanized and like it's not just a caricature, but there are still elements of it that are like, yeah, have not aged well but i think it has to be applauded for um having like having representation for uh, a trans person in 2003 particularly as a homeless person because it's like homelessness like disproportionately affects like like lgbtq people um which is like considering it's 2003 is quite a big deal and in but, um, tokyo as so well japan like. Y- yeah like that it seems it seems very progressive uh, but at the same time like it doesn't feel like they just kind of like threw the character in there for like comic relief you know like she's quite integral to the story and stuff um but in saying that there there are definitely moments where you're like <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> but I, I do like how the the other characters react to her mm. as well. That it's not a a case that they are always ma- passing comment in it. Even when they pass comment to it, it's kind of like lovingly, yeah. as as you would kind of thing, rather than uh, not being referred either. It's kind of like very subtle in its uh, approach to. To that and uh, again it's like what you said that it's not really thrown in but it's also not randomly there but also mm. it's not overtly a point of the movie it's just as you said because it is a film about homelessness and I think that the three characters are archetypal characters for our idea of homeless people that is like mm. both men or women would be like the 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 guy that uh, drank or gambled or lost his family and then is too ashamed to like ask for help, so mm. that's Jin and then Maruki the the girl be like the younger person that runs away from home but she's too old to get like child services. It's kind of that you don't have the skill set or the m- mental strength to get a, a job or. But even even like the the fact that if you run away from home and you don't have money to reside somewhere, you can't open a bank account, you can't mm. do many things. So you ended up end up kind of falling in between the cracks into it's like, oh, next year, uh, by next Christmas, I'll be I'll have my life together, kind of thing. And then Hannah representing the the higher proportion of LGBTQ people that uh, go through this process because obviously like even from discrimination from employment, housing, never mind, mm. like, abuses and dealing with uh, scarring events in your life that would lead you to this situation that is, like, similarly, there's, like, higher incident of addiction and suicide amongst LGBTQ people than on uh, non-queer people. Like even in the 90s, there was a certain tendency to try to approach and reflect the world that you're living in. And I think that both Hollywood, but like films in other cultures, like uh, because 
even though it's mistaken to say that we're always on a trajectory of like improving ourselves and culture becoming more open <laughs> and stuff that is not have like we learned <laughs> yeah but it's the, the like there's a certain truth to it but also it's now taken as uh just a matter of fact not that you have to fight to maintain the, that status quo or to improve it like even the idea that oh racism is better now that it was in the 80s and in the 80s it was better than it was in the 60s but it's like <laughs> yeah but like we started at such a bad point that like even 200 years of gradual improvement won't get us to like where it should be <laughs> but obviously not to say the progress is not good but it's it's weird that like you know, you have stuff like Philadelphia and other movies, both about LGBTQ issues and racism and uh, structural issues in America and stuff uh, in the 90s and in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 60s. But largely, there was like very little like social commentary in both music, film and mm -hmm. books, I feel, in the 2000s. It's kind of like... You know, like, th this would be kind of an outlier in 2003, like, uh, uh, especially coming from Japan, yeah. obviously. But, you know, like, even nowadays, a fucking Godzilla movie that we did is, like, social commentary kind of thing. It's interesting you say that, actually, particularly in regards to music. Um, Lindsay Ellis did a really interesting um, video on protest music during the Bush era and how so much of it was just like either non-existent or kind of like you know oh it, things will be better eventually we've kind of just given up a little bit and then anyone that like overtly mentioned like the iraq war and everything like the dixie chicks ended up getting completely like lambasted by popular culture for even like daring to mention it and like when you you can kind of see that a bit in cinema as well of how like everyone just kind of like just kinda, yeah like i don't know like ignored it or something or like just rather than you know even when you take like Beyonce's output from the last like five years in comparison to like you know a similar five-year era in the early 2000s when like you know arguably a worse president was in power you know it's like it's 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 actually a really interesting video and she kind of like rounds it off by talking about how Green Day and American Idiot end up becoming like the protest anthem of the era even though it's such a like it's not a very pointed song, you know, in a lot of and, ways. And it's a very muddled album as well. Like, yeah, exactly. It is a muddled album. Even people like George Clooney or whatever that is like overtly political filmmaker. Uh, mm. I, I'm really looking forward to watching his new movie, the like Midnight uh, yeah. Stars or something. It's meant to be very good. Uh, but like he's very, very hit or miss when it comes to his writing mm. directing that is like Catch Twenty Two was underwhelming, Letterheads is awful, mm. Monuments Man is absolutely atrocious. What's the one where with um Oscar Isaac and and Matt Damon? Oh, the the one that it's uh, half of it is a uh, Coen Brothers script, Suburbicon or something. Suburbicon, yeah. <laughs> the half of it is uh, a, a Coen Brothers script that got discarded, and the other half is shit that he added himself, which I haven't seen, but it just sounds like something that should not have been made. But uh, and you also you have like, and then you have like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and. Good night and good luck that are genuinely mm. good movies, I feel. Uh, but it, even like in the sense of not perhaps just as a director that like he he did stuff like Syriana and stuff mm. like in the what 2012. Or Michael Clayton as yeah, well, in fairness. That yeah. it is overtly political, let's say. But even he was quiet in, in well, like fair enough that he was coming off like batman and robin and stuff but <laughs> yeah I, I for one i'm glad that that kind of filmmaking has uh and like in general cultural uh relevancy has come back mm. to the fore like the obviously it's both necessary in the sense of like in a artistic and cultural sense but it's clearly something that is hinting hitting a a gap in the market so called because we live in a fucking capitalist society and so there's like people green lighting this shit because they're making money out of it like it's not done out of the goodness of their hearts unfortunately 
So, Ricardo, what is your favorite thing about Tokyo Godfathers? I think that it is the the actual feeling it made me feel like as a film. Like uh, I think it is uh, a film with a real heart, and I think that it's very hard to execute a film that it is as emotional and as kind uh, as it is without coming off as trite and mm. overbearing. Uh, I think that. Even the mistakes it makes, it comes from a very good place and it's a very humanistic movie. And I've mentioned that like I have kind of like a seesaw mentality that the two type of movies that I like the most are the ones that are completely humanistic and lovely and movies <laughs> that are pitch black and cynical as fuck. Like the in between I can live in. But like, you know, the one that is like, oh, there's a basic goodness on on people and you just have to dig deep down enough and that inherent uh, kind spirit would (laughs) eventually shine through. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a great uh, movie. Yes, thank you for giving me the, the message. Or is... Everybody's out for themselves and doesn't matter what people say, uh, as long as soon as they can backstab you, they will backstab you. And the world is full of terror. And, you know, you can have a filmmaker like perhaps it's like why I particularly like Werner Herzog, because he's able to straddle that line somehow. Somehow. That is like being the most cynical and humanistic and optimistic filmmaker uh, (laughs) at the same time. But when it comes to this movie, it's that it is very uh, it, it, it wears its emotions and its messaging on its sleeve, but without bearing like uh, without making you feel um, manipulated. And mm. we've mentioned time and time and time again that no matter what you're watching, you're being manipulated by the filmmaker. But the difference between what? like good Spielberg and bad Spielberg is that it's <laughs> when you notice that you're being manipulated. Like if it's too obvious what the filmmaker is doing, you start fighting against it. All the main cogs have to work together. As soon as you have one of the main cogs kind of loose, the whole mechanism starts <laughs> trembling and you're like, ah, <laughs> my favorite thing about Tokyo Godfathers is that there's never that moment of clarity of going like, oh, what the fuck am I watching? It's more like, you know, it's like you said, you, the end credits is like dancing buildings and you go, oh, you know, kind of like rather than like, what did I take? And what did the filmmakers take? Um, it somehow felt like uh, appropriate. I don't know why when they started dancing, I like died laughing. <laughs> it's like they're dancing, and it made me feel like really warm and fuzzy inside without feeling <clears throat> empty after the movie ended. Because there's nothing worse like that kind of what I call souffle movie. That if <laughs> it looks like a, a filling dish, and then you finish the movie and you're still hungry. You know, like you don't notice how vacuous the movie is until you finish the movie and it's like, oh, there wasn't enough there. But this is able to be airy and bright and light, but be a fulfilling meal. So uh, what was your favorite thing? Every episode, there is at some point Ricardo will end up comparing a movie or filmmaking or all the ingredients of filmmaking to some sort of dish. Sometimes it's a specific dish, sometimes it's just a meal. But (laughs) it's always very enjoyable and it always kind of makes me hungry. Um, But uh, I think, um, what was my favorite thing? I feel, I think it's like on paper this film shouldn't work. Like when you sort of read the description and yeah, you know, like when you look at the poster and you kind of you kind of think you know, it's a Christmas movie and it's like how how and the movie started and I was like okay and then after about like ten minutes I was like oh, okay I'm so with this now and it like and then, you know like there there are parts about me where you're a little bit like oh okay that's that's kind of a little bit too far but. It's it was just such great company and it was so very easy to watch even at times if it's a little bit confusing. Like I'd say on the second watch it will be even more rewarding because you kinda like know all the ins and outs and stuff and you can maybe I don't know, appreciate 
like the backdrops and you know their their clothing and all the little details in the background and stuff like even even the details of like them when they're going to they're going through the trash um and they're when they find the baby and everything and like just like it's so it's so beautifully drawn um and uh yeah i find it just a really pleasant experience it's good company i think yeah like i agree with with that that it's uh good company is a very uh, good way to to describe this movie i feel and i hope that like i don't think it's a movie that is often like i think it's the type of movie that people know about but not necessarily watched uh yeah same with this filmmaker it seems because he had like he he made five movies and he died when he was 42 um well, like I know, I'm not sure what he died pa- of, but Paprika is uh, uh, his last movie is uh, particularly influential and well known. Mm. Along, uh, like I know Alex loves it, uh, and some people say that Inception is a ripoff of Paprika, but I'd say that it's more that it's heavily influenced by it because even though mm. it takes a lot of the visual style and themes that the movie has but it takes it somewhere else kind of thing mm. and i think for like a, a rip-off to be a rip-off is that it's actually trying to replicate exactly what the original movie was kind of thing you know like uh, what would, was your least favorite thing in this movie um i f- i felt like the scene when your one jumps off the the building it's 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 quite like distressing but also kind of they kind of pull the rug out from under you and it's like oh no it's fine you know they're gonna rescue her it's all fine da, da, da. uh yeah that that whole thing where the you know then it turns out like the mother had a child or the well the woman who ch- who stole the baby uh yeah that was what we were wondering last night how mayuki mayuki knew that um or mayuki knew that she'd had a baby before that died whenever she's standing on on the the edge of the building with uh and she she starts talking about how they lost the baby so that's why she steals the other baby i wasn't sure how mayuki knew that but um yeah it felt it felt like a it was like too many things falling into place at once or something um but like not in a particularly bad way it just felt a little bit silly and nothing else in the film even the most ridiculous coincidences ever felt silly you know it felt like ordained or something and i kind of like the the idea of like you know the baby's like like god is smiling upon this baby like the baby's like magic or something it's you know is like a sort of a beacon like i, I don't have a problem with that but yeah the, the kind of the last like 10 minutes were a bit sort of just like it. it just kind of didn't sit completely right with me but uh what was your least favorite thing like i think it's the same that it's like even though i i even in the end and whenever it's the fact that the baby got stolen and stuff like i, I do appreciate that it is like better than saying that the baby actually got thrown out by its parents let's say that that's what yeah. what happened and also uh, it nullifies part of the the similar to shoplifters that is like oh yeah we this kid came to live with us because they have terrible parents so it's not really a win whenever the kid returns to the parents Mm. you know what i mean so it it doesn't cheat us from the quote-unquote happy ending but i think that perhaps if it had been a a better i don't know exactly which workaround but not having like a crazy woman not be able to deal with the baby Because it's, I think more it's very distressing when the, she can't feed the baby, and there's a lot of like people not feeding the baby in this movie, and I, it kind of stressed me out a little bit. <laughs> I was like, feed the baby. And it's also like the the, the fact that uh, considering how uh, both realistically and kind the movie projects every other issue in the movie, mm. it doesn't really do a particular like it just goes crazy woman is gonna crazy. Like a, yeah, it, like it's it, not it, great. It, it gives her a reason to have lost her mind. Like a, I, I, I don't want to downplay the uh, the psychological effects of losing a child, but mm. at the same time, because as a character that it is, 
not unlike any other character in the movie, it's just thrown in to uh, uh, to fit a plot point rather than have its own specific need in there. You know, mm-hmm. like even when they go to the to the club that Hannah used to work in and like Jen getting assaulted and even the thing with uh, Mayuki and her dad, it's kind of lived in because it's not there just yeah. for plot. It's there like so part of it is kind of coincidence, but also part of it is that it's like, Texture. yeah, they, they, they inherit, they, they live in this world. So it is a small world. Mm. Tokyo is a big city, but the bits that they live in, it's small because they have to wander through like certain alleyways kind of thing. It's where they're, they're not really encountering an awful lot of like people on the high street. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like the underground world. So like I don't know how how exactly it, it could have been fixed because I agree that the baby shouldn't have just been thrown out, but it could have been mm. like, and even if it is like oh it was accidental, it's kind of like huge ne- negligence to like lose a baby as well. like you know like <laughs> uh, if you say like found part of the hospital yes <laughs> yeah like that it Tag could be like babies. oh yeah like uh, I the baby. I don't know, crawled into a bin or something and then like the bin man <laughs> took the bin out and the baby was in the bag. But is it, then it's like too ridiculous. Uh, so I don't know really how to get from a baby is born or babies with parents to B, he's found by <laughs> the three godfathers. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Is that your least favorite thing? Yeah, that's my least favorite thing. Uh, uh Obviously, I think that the that it's inherent also like in the bits of like portrayal of suicide and stuff like that. But I think that mm. it is more again, it's coming from a good place, but because it doesn't have uh, another reason to exist in the story besides to exist, it kind of uh, uh, plot reasons. Yeah, like it, it kind of feels like we were saying before. This is the only bit that you feel the hand of the filmmaker rather than be guided Mm. silently by its majesty what a beautiful way to end so like uh, any final thoughts or (laughs) um i really enjoyed it um and i feel like i'd like to sort of add this into my christmas roster which is nice I'm glad because um, I don't think that I, I'd be able to deal with this recording <laughs> if you hadn't liked it. Oh, God. <laughs> but uh, no, I did. I really enjoyed it. As did John. So, uh, Ricardo, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rec Game, every Monday, every second Monday on Dublin Digital Radio. Uh, our email is game at gmail.com. And I think that our back episodes are in your uh, podcaster of choice in the Dublin Digital Mix Cloud. Uh, next week's film is chosen by Orla, which is. Uh, I'd like to apologize in advance because I did not pick a happy movie, but I don't care. I've been waiting over a year for this fucking film to come out, and it's finally out. So I'm picking Collective, the Romanian documentary. Uh, I'm very very excited and uh, it's gonna be like a little awkward to find but I'm pretty sure I have it so I can I can send it to you anyways I but, think uh, it's in the the IFI page so just oh uh, uh, sweet yeah I, I rent, saw it on the rent it from them yeah. I saw it on the BFI um, BFI player as well so yay um, <laughs> it seems wrong to be excited for such a depressing movie but okay uh, yeah so <laughs> until then uh, Merry Christmas everybody um we hope you, despite all the weirdness and awfulness and shitness of the last however many months, we hope you managed to have a nice time, no matter where you are. And let's fucking hope that 2021 is far better. Can't be any worse. <laughs> well, I was Ord McGuinness. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next year.